Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. The human experience is entering the chapel of sacred mirrors as we speak to my guests, Allison and Alex Gray. Alex, Allison, it's truly an honor. Welcome to HXP. Hey, thank you so much. Great, Xavier. Nice to meet you. So I just adore your work. And where do I begin? Yeah, where did you begin? When did you first see it, do you think? Oh, it's, it's been years. I mean, at least a decade. I mean, I've been following it and I just, I mean, I have so many questions for both of you. Let's just, let's just dig right in. Alex, Allison, and either of you can answer this. How do you f- define creativity? I think creativity and uh, Ken Wilber really said this first, but I, uh, intuited it all along. Creativity is evolution in our hands. Creativity is the basic pulse of the universe that is living in us as us. Uh, Creativity is the spark of life and uh, the spirit that animates the entire cosmos. And it is the, uh, what I believe is the uh, force in consciousness that keeps renewing itself moment by moment. And so this uh, tendency toward novelty and toward developing complexity is the evolutionary process. And uh, it is alive in us. And that is uh, creativity. I think that it's... Do you define it as a masculine male or female type thing? It's... It's universal creative energy. That means it's all of the above and none of the above. You know, it's, it's got the uh, polarity, the divine polarity of masculinity and femininity. But the, uh, the creative principle, I'd say, is beyond that. It's both. It's non-dual, you know. It's the sense it's the, the, uh, the pillar and the engine of the universe, it's the uh, it's what is most often identified with God, the Creator, you know, the Initiator, and uh, the Source. So, creativity is both a source, uh, a supply, and an output. You know. It's the, uh, it's the entire thing. It's, uh, consciousness itself is the creative impulse and the creative spirit. You know, I, I feel like uh, that's what's living in everything. And how would, you say, how would you say that your art or art evolves consciousness? Because it proposes the possibility of realizing things we may not have. And in that way, 
uh, it enlarges our, our context for holding our own being. You can uh, engage the next stage of your own possibility as a, a kind of a carrot on a stick that can compel you to become a better person. That's the, the trick of really great art is to um, become a better person after viewing it or after creating it. You know, the uh, kind of, I think of it as a covenant between the creator and the viewer is uh, this, uh, it creates this possibility where uh, uh, an energetic spark can pass. You know, the divine spark of the creative spirit alive in great works of art uh, is like a direct soul transmission. It's a loop from the, from the highest uh, source. <laughs> I think that's the most beautiful representation of what art is that I've ever heard. Um, so, Alex, I mean, you're, it seems like your work goes a lot into the spiritual, the psychoenergetic, the, the spiritual energetic system. Why, why choose to move into this direction? Well, that is the opportunity to really hook the next stage of our evolution, which would be toward comfort with our own psychic abilities and with our own intuition. Art is, it lives in the swimming pool of the intuition. You know, it, it is, that, that's its stuff. That's the lifeblood, you know. So uh, we want to open our third eyes. We want to get beyond the rational we don't want to uh, go unconscious and dig down into the swamp of our, of our uh, sort of uh, shadows. Uh, we want to uh, acknowledge and, and, and shine a light on them, but not live uh, in those areas. We want to point higher, and uh, by opening our third eye, we're seeing the possibilities that exist for us and that it opens us to the world of um, visionary light. There's a, a realm of luminosity that all clairvoyants talk about and who are clairvoyants but the next phase of human evolution. You know, these are people who have developed other um, capacities. Their visionary physiology which is withered in most of us, has become activated. It's come online. And it's not always because they've become more spiritually developed, but oftentimes you'll find in the, the training for uh, spiritual development from monkhood of a Buddhist or Christian or uh, certainly the Jewish and Hindu uh, mystics have known the same thing, that you come uh, closer to this um, one source uh, hmm. by many different paths. And wow. it, it, the distinctions begin to uh, blur between the, uh, the 
the one being, you know, that it is all one and it's luminous. You know, God enlightens us. So our light body is where the soul kind of seems more active. It seems like that's, that's where the psychoplasmic vapor uh, is uh, pliable. It's plastic. It's sculptural. We use it. It's our imagination. It's the body of our imagination. So this body of light uh, is what the mystics uh, identify more with. That's more uh, close to our supreme identity uh, because it's in the realm between the transcendental and the manifest uh, material. It's that uh, visionary landscape, you know, that is our astral body, our etheric body, our, our acupuncture meridians and points and chakras and auras and uh, all the various kinds of lines that move through as the pulse of life itself. You can just imagine a toroidal field around the body coming out of our heart, you know, and coming out the top of our head and out our ass. And it just kind of goes around us like an invisible apple, you know, mm. just kind of pulses all around us all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah. Our, our hearts... Uh, send off a shock wave out into a subtle light out uh, beyond our physical body, eight feet out around us. So you could imagine an eight-foot globe surrounding your body at all times. That's what the subtle pulse is sending off. Is there, is there something that you would say inspires you the most? Allison, and here she sits. <laughs> No, 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 I would say the same. So you inspire I, each other. I, no, that, that Alex is my greatest inspiration and that I probably was his first student. That's so beautiful. I, I've been a student of Alex for all these years and I love hearing him talk. He's such a genius and uh, thinks very differently than I do in many ways. I mean, you know, but uh, we've been together for over 40 years, sharing a studio we met in art school, and uh, we fell in love over LSD, and uh, and the spiritual side of that. I think that was really what connected us was that we both had had a kind of a, of a God opening, a God awakening, God contact mm -hmm. through our sacramental uh, sojourns. And uh, Alex's first sojourn was in my apartment on my couch, so. <laughs> we fell in love right after that, and we never parted, and we got a, uh, a loft uh, you know, to do our art in together. We were in the same gallery for years, and now we, then, then until we had our own gallery. Then we had two galleries. In the city, we had Cosm, uh, the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors Gallery, which was really mostly Alex's most beloved works and a few of mine thrown in. And then there was the... Gallery of the visionary uh, tribe, you know, the, the, the great visionary artists that are working today and some who have passed on. But we showed some wonderful work uh, in a rotating show of incredible exhibitions. And so right now we're, you know, our project now is Entheon, which is to build the sanctuary of visionary art. That was a, a vision that Alex and I had in 1985 on our first MDMA experience was that we should build this temple. And so ever since then, all 
all art and things like that have that in mind. I mean, sometimes we make art to uh, as commissions and to sell to people, but all the proceeds go toward building this visionary art sanctuary. And now, yeah. of course, we have a place for it. We're closer than we've ever been. We're here in the Hudson Valley where we love it and it's gorgeous. We're like 1,500 feet from the Hudson River. It's an amazing tidal river. And we have this great, and it's got great train access and we've got this great place that we're building. And right now we have a Kickstarter ongoing, which I'm so glad you invited us to be on your show to just tell people to go to buildentheon.com. It's an easy, easy access to our Kickstarter page, which is blowing up, my friend Xavier. And I'm so, guess who gave us a great big tweet today? Sean Lennon. And he's you know, our biggest donor. He's huge. He's loving us. I wish I want to meet Sean Lennon anyway. <laughs> but he gave us a tweet today that he loves our project. So Check out buildentheon.com. That's really uh, important to us that that we finish building this exhibition. You see, this is going to help us to build so that everybody can come and the work is on view instead of in storage. Alex's beautiful sacred mirrors and all those amazing works of art and the originals by many visionary artists, the greatest originals by the greatest visionary artists working today and have passed will be shown in the first gallery you walk into, the Magi Gallery, the Mystic Artists Guild International, the Mystic Artists, the, the people who bring the gifts, you know, they bring the gifts to the, to the, to the God contact, you know. And that's a lot of people who come here to Cosm for our many programs and uh, we've got a wedding this weekend. We're having Mother's Day. We always have things going on here. But anyway, and you can find it at COSM stands for Chapel of Sacred Mirror. So people come here to be uplifted, you know, to be inspired by with the art of Alex Gray as a context. It, it just happens to draw people. I mean, I really want you to tell us, Xavier, I'm really serious about this. Do you remember the first time you ever saw the work of art of Alex Gray? Do you, do you remember where it was or who showed it to you? I mean, it had to be in the late, late 90s. And I think it was unlike anything I've ever seen. And it remains that. And it's influenced so much of my life and just looking at it. it and it really, it, it really seems to capture the essence of not only the space, but the spiritual space, the space that exists between us that we don't usually see. Well, I wondered if it was your a friend, do you think? Or do you think it was your parents? Or did you just sit, see it sitting on a coffee table? Was it a poster in somebody's room? Or you just really have no recollection of that? I honestly don't have any rec recollection of that. It's so interesting because I ask a lot of people that question. And, and I often find that the people remember where they saw it, and it was somehow a bridge. It was somehow a connector. Like, it connected them with something familiar, something that they felt. And if somebody was really turned off to it, that said something about them. And if somebody was really turned on to it, that said something else about them. And so I feel like that's what Alex's work provides and why it's an attractor. And so in, 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 in that, we know that people really want to see the work 
because people always have and, and asked to see it. So we thought, why don't we just offer it to the public instead of keeping it for, um, you know, in private collectors' homes and things. And there's many of those, too. I mean, there are many of Alex Gray's works that go out disseminating and seeding the world, yay, so that, you know, people can, uh, we can create a temple so that we can yeah. get it all back yeah. here and build Entheon. So, Allison, since I have your attention here, um, I mean, you have said that your art has been based on three root symbol systems, chaos, order, and secret writing. Right. Is that right? Absolutely. What, what are these symbol systems and how do they relate to your creative process? Well, when I was, uh, you know, I started uh, tripping on, a, on a LSD when I was 17. So, but then by the time I was uh, 20... I read Ram Dass's Be Here Now. And I was, you know, when I was tripping before that, I was going to parties and going on bicycle trips and going walking up the Rocky Mountains, things like that, and having wonderful times at parties and probably really spiritually developing myself and growing. But by the, but by the time I got to Ram Dass's book, Be Here Now, um, he talks about going into a dark room and lying down peacefully with maybe some spiritual or uh, ambient music and going deep inside with that experience. And so that was the first time I did that. It was before I met Alex and I saw the secret writing and I saw the secret writing all over the walls and all washing over my body and over the body of my two friends I was doing this with. And, um, I always remembered that it was uh, unpronounceable and enigmatic, but I knew the meaning. I had this intuitive sense of the meaning being creative manifestation. This is the way we, this is the way artists communicate. They communicate through symbols. They're symbol makers. And as extension, musicians are giving a feeling or are resonating with that, with, through a language that is unpronounceable. That is inexplicable. We try to put it in words. Maybe we write poetry about it, but it's, but it's inexplicable. There's something connected about the, the creative process. So anyway, that was the first secret writing. And in subsequent journeys, I heard that all things were chaos, order, and secret writing. And chaos is order plus entropy. It is the world of the material it is the broken world where all things are made of different things. You know, we're all made of atoms, but we're all different. There's all these differences between us, uh, between hardwood and my skin. And anyway, and then there's, uh, and that's chaos. It's all falling apart in this beautiful spectral way. So the order is that, <clears throat> is, is a, the fountains and drains, the suck holes and blow holes of the uh, bliss realm. If we, if you have ever done a sacrament or had a mystical experience, you might have seen vistas of these roiling, um, you know, universal mind lattices as Alex paints them, you know, uh, those kinds of roiling interconnected light. So that is my symbol for that, which is inexplicable. And that is, and I call it order. And that's my mandalic uh, image and sometimes small fields of mandalas. Mm -hmm. uh, and the secret writing is the creative manifestation. We have inner thoughts, you know, from the divine, I believe, that they come in through the divine and they manifest as things out in the chaos world, out in the material world, through symbols, all of them, through the window of my 
secret language, the, my, my mouth noises that I'm making right now to you. Mm-hmm. You can translate and that you understand because we understand the same symbols. If I was speaking Chinese, what I was saying would not come through as meaning for you. So this is, these are all symbols and uh, we manifest our creativity and communicate through symbols. So that's, I, f- I felt that the wor- that, 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 that worldview was so profoundly a uh, download for me that I did not need to look further than that for my content. And I've done work around Chaos Order Secret Writing since I met Alex in 1975 when my work changed dramatically. I mean, radically. And how would, you, how would you say that you and Alex kind of vibe together when it comes to your creative space? You say, you say something about how we vibe. Oh, uh, I think we're... It's so rare that we're outside of each other's creative energy field, uh, actually, that in, in a lot of ways, uh, whatever each one of us is going through internally, it, it's pretty often out there in our creative plasma field, you know, and we have to, uh, so we're, we're both always conscious of, of, per, of our own personal transformation day to day in our communication with each other and learning how to become better people, you know, in relation to each other. I think that's the profound gift of relationship and a long-term relationship is that uh, you're uh, allowed to uh, know someone for decades it's a privilege, you know, to uh, maintain a friendship. And it's also, a, I think, a, um, it, it, it sometimes more challenging than other times, but then sometimes it's like you're on a, a toboggan, you know, that is such a thrill ride, you know, to be, uh, <laughs> I feel like that guy at the uh, end of, uh, um, that Philip K. Dick, you know, where the things we've seen together, you know, on uh, other planets, like in at Burning Man and at uh, right. various We're going to be things, at Burning Man this year, you know? too. So anybody who wants to come to Burning Man and be with the Causal Camp, it's also going to be the MAPS Camp. Yeah. And it's also going to be... The Bronner Foam the Dome. The Bronner Foam Dome. Get <laughs> on you, baby. Listen, I wanted to say something about our, our journey together, Alex and I. We chose this path uh, consciously and not every Everybody would choose such a path and people have wonderful relationships in very different ways. Like, you know, like commuter relationships that sometimes work perfectly for people. So we're all about whatever works for each individual. Uh, I wanted to just tell your listeners though, that, you know, a young couple went to the Buddha and they said, we love each other so much and we don't like to even be apart. And, and like, we're so scared and worried about what's going to happen one day, one of us is going to die. And then the other one's going to be left and it, it concerns us. And the Buddha said to them, if you walk the path in the same way, it's a possibility that you could come back in the next lifetime as one person. Hmm. And if you came back in the next lifetime as one person, I was thinking, and Alex was thinking, you know, and you loved each other as much as, you know, we loved each other, but both hemispheres, both hard drives were in the same body. 
You would love yourself like a Buddha. You would like be a birthed Buddha. You would like love yourself entirely like Buddha and Christ did. And you could come back as a Buddha. So Alex and I have, have uh, set that intention uh, that um, he's, look, you know, the whole thing about the better half, it's just, it's just true. That's all. <laughs> you know, Alex has I love it. what I have to learn and I have what he has to learn. And uh, so being together is, is a, uh, not always easy, but it's, it is easy. It's so delicious is what it really is. And even going through stuff is delicious because we get better. We just get better. That's all. So how so about I, you, my friend? Tell us more. What do you want to know about? Well, I want to know what you want to know. That's because we're here for you. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's the other way around, actually. <laughs> I'm here every day. Oh, good. Okay. So, so Alex, if I've been, everyone I've talked to has asked me to ask you about this. If I don't ask you about this, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Um, your, your work has graced the album covers of so many bands, but especially Tool and 10,000 Days album. How did that collaboration come about? Why do you think that image resonates with so many people? Well, it's really interesting. Uh, I think that the origins of uh, it being on the album uh, were all the way back in probably 2002 when Adam and I were working on the Parabola ending. And uh, since I was uh, working on that video with them and uh, having a lot of fun getting my first opportunity to do storyboards and animation and work with really talented computer graphic artists and stuff, they gave me that opportunity early on. Adam did. And uh, so the... Uh, at that time, I was just beginning the drawings, the first drawings for the uh, painting that became Net of Being. Mm -hmm. And it was based on an ayahuasca experience that I had had that year. And uh, the lateralis had just come out the previous year. So we were still in a kind of a glowy state from that. And uh, it, it was uh, that, I think, a big boost because look, uh, my work is, um, not what you'd call mainstream in the contemporary art sense. And so the, uh, alternatives for artists who find themselves in such a space are, you know, I mean, I was kind of going it on my own and doing the, uh, I, we published books, you know, in 1990, sacred mirrors came out and then other philosophical reflections, the uh, mission of art, and then transfigurations. And so then we started working with Toolmore. And so then, and Adam gave me the opportunity to do stage sets and, uh, you know, just propose ideas and the ones that he liked, you know, we, he went with. So I showed him those early drawings about the net of being. And we both looked at each other and thought, because we were doing the computer animation, someday we've got to animate this. Someday we've got to make that space come to life. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, but it was years that I've been uh, painting on the thing. And so in, I don't know, what was it, 2006, uh, he got a hold of me and it was, we have this concept that is these uh, 3D 
glasses that go with it. It's uh, like the old time kind of 3D photography. And it was something that Adam had been into for many years, like a decade or more, he'd been taking 3D photographs. And so he had this idea that he could make it into a CD uh, and it would be a, a way that you can't just download that. They made an object that people wanted to own. And it was ingenious, really. It won a Grammy just as a package idea. And, uh, uh, and the art was part of it, too, because we had a lot of different, you know, like ideas. He was saying, well, what do you think we could do with this thing, this 3D thing? So I had a whole bunch of propositions and then said, I just showed him a picture of what I was working on, and it was the net of being. And I had <laughs> forgotten I had shown him that, and he said, that's it, that's it, that's the thing. <laughs> and so uh, that put it on the album cover, and immediately I saw, oh my God, we could put the glasses over the head of the thing, and it'd just be like it was made for it. And so it just became the cover immediately, and it wasn't even done. It was just like, okay, you know, and, um, but so, down but reduced 15 feet down to like, <laughs> like seven inches or something. You can't really tell that it's not a finished painting. <laughs> oh, God. And, but then it got into posters and all kinds of stuff. So it, it became one of the most famous unfinished paintings of all time. Still, I think it's considered unfinished, but it will be, uh, very much featured in Entheon. It'll be like right behind the stage. It's going to be basically the backdrop for the stage. Huh. So, um, but Antheon is what we're working on now. But I wanted to say Alex hasn't done a lot of album covers because Alex and I both, I think, together are very discerning about whose work uh, uses your, you know, your art. And yeah. so over the years, it really hasn't been uh, that many and probably less now. But, uh, but to have Tool uh, involved, I mean, has been an incredible uh, experience and it's helped to uh, bring Alex's work to millions of people. And we're very, very grateful. And at Entheon, we're having a tool shrine. We have so many, the tool army wanted a shrine for tools. So we're like putting one in our reliquary room. We have a reliquary room with the psychedelic heroes and, and, and the tool shrine and, and altars and things like that. So it'll be really cool. And uh, we hope to open at like 2017, so we have a little ways to go. But uh, we're giving tours at every after every <laughs> art church. We still take people into the construction zone and show them what everything's going to be. We're very excited. I think I'm going to have to make a trip up there. Where are so, you? Where are you, my friend? I'm in Florida. Wow. What part? Uh, Central Florida. Central uh -huh. Florida, like Gainesville. Is, we go to Gainesville a lot. The University of Florida. That's you do. I'm actually up in Gainesville quite a bit. Are you really? really? Yes, oh, yeah, we so should. Friends there, they have the Art and Healing Center. You know, they, their their medical school is one of the earliest art therapy places. The Shands. The Shands mm -hmm. were hospital. Yeah. They, they are all about art therapy, and we we've been down there doing even with our daughter when she was young doing performances that were commissioned by the Shands. You know, by the Art and Healing. Yeah, because. Shans is huge in oh, Gainesville. Mary Rockwood Lane, that's her name, Mary Rockwood Lane. She's in, she, I mean, if it weren't for these people, you wouldn't even know about art therapy. It's, it's an amazing hospital, the Gainesville. 
Awesome. Yeah, and then you've got Mickey Singer down there, oh, yeah. who's our just te- like our teacher. the Alat in Alachua, Florida. Uh huh. Yeah, I've met Mickey. Uh, gone to oh. his Temple of the Universe, oh, and oh, awesome. So we need to connect. Obviously, I need to meet you guys. Wow. Small world, Xavier. You know, we probably have a lot of friends in common. So okay, getting back to getting back to some of the questions I have for this oh, yeah. interview. Um. Alex, your work seems to have an interest in both the scientific and artistic side of life. And your earlier work seemed to focus more on death and transcendence. Why do you think your early work did that? Um, It's probably the protracted ego death, you know, like the long squeal of the pig as it dies. Uh, Alex is Alex has a tendency to be depressed. So I'll just tell you this: when he first when I met him, he had a had a sign he had made called "Suicide Theater," and I was really worried about what he might do to himself. But he has transcended that and has worked on that. I think it's, but it is a tendency of yours to be <laughs> yeah. dark, Alex. Well, you know, I was wondering that whole story with the Buddha, you know, like yes. what do you do with the shadow? Right. What are we saying about spiritual leaders that they have no shadow? Isn't that like unrealistic? Isn't that just completely bogus? And isn't that what they always do is that they make the, uh, the spiritual leader somehow inhuman, somehow without a shadow, which is what every, which is what the shadow wants you to think that y- only you have, you know, only <laughs> you have that anchor of of depression or or psychosis or whatever is your you know anchor. And, oh yeah. And so, but that's your ego, that's your shadow, and I I think that what it is is your great teacher. You know, you have to look at it as a kind of a, both a teacher, but also it's not the witness. It's not the uh, truly who you are. It's kind of the reflections in the mirror and not the mirror itself. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the, the sky is watching a cloud Instead of the, uh, you know, the the frantic cloud worrying because it's dissolving, you know, I think that the uh, to identify more with the the context of cosmic being and of being beyond time is what spirit and the higher sacred arts have always pointed toward. So they pop, they point toward the transcendent. And I think that the, I was going through the death part, probably always will part of me, you know, and I, I wear black all the time, you know. So you could say I'm in mourning over the web of life and all of the, the death inadvertent that's gone to nature and all the, the kind of unrighteous wars that, that humans wage. So it's... You could also say it's the source of all creative uh, light is in the transcendent uh, no thingness. So as as a as a creative uh, entry point, uh, the black uh, seems to work. But it's you could also say it's the shadow that you acknowledge exists, but it doesn't mean that uh, you're 
mind has to be only conditioned by that knowledge. It should be chastened by it. It should be enlivened by it because it's the contrast to that. You know, it's the, uh, we are alive now. That unites us. You know, that's a beautiful, and, and it's only so treasured because it's so impermanent. And so because of that treasured preciousness of each moment, you know, that, that music and art can, uh, ex- or, or the look of a beloved, you know, and the compassion in a stranger's eyes, a smile, all of those things, you know, the sunset, these, these things are the things that God gives us as these little treasures and little gems uh, each day that we, uh, life's worth it, you know, life's beautiful, life's an affirmation. And so uh, our lives and consciousness together are the, where I think real creativity and transformation lives. I mean, is that why you spent so much time at Harvard Medical School studying cadavers? Well, I think that I had to understand the substructure of consciousness, which is the vehicle, the black box of the body. And because the body decays and uh, is is uh, made up of composite uh, things, you know, uh, and and deconstructs. Uh, it's it's a, a kind of mechanics, but I don't believe that that's what our self is limited to. Where do you see the consciousness of, of the planet today and society today? And where do you believe it's going? I think that we're at this point of the, the need for breakthrough and the tremendous frustration of, of massive numbers of people and suffering of of massive numbers of people. And so the, the cry of both the life web and the human uh, uh, web is a almost overwhelming pain that most people take antidepressants not to uh, feel. And so the, the numbing of our consciousness is the other aspect that uh, is kind of the collective shadow. So I feel like there are many spirits and forces clashing as we evolve our consciousness. And part of our tribe, and especially the, uh, the 20-somethings, and even before, the teens, they get it immediately. There isn't any tolerance of bullshit. It's why Bernie is so favored uh, by the young people, they're they're intolerant of bullshit, and uh, they want to hear ideals articulated, vision articulated. People who still are alive to the possibility of vision uh, that that can help us survive the tight spots to come, because we have to plan for overarching survival. We have to get off our addiction to oil. We have to find the new energy source and uh, start to wind down the uh, outworn nuclear facilities. And we have to get independent kind of solar 
uh, and uh, the solar technologies out as soon as possible. Would you say that people are hungry for mystical experiences? I think that it's in all of our souls and that at this point, because of our immersion in the materialism, that we yearn for, uh, like I did, that one day when I dared God to show me a sign uh, before I succumbed to my own, you know, sort of self-destruction. And I, it was kind of a dare in the same way. I, I think that the soul of every person that's still alive to the possibility of love they yearn for a source of love that is infinite and is, is a source that is, unites all life. And the scientists are, are not saying it doesn't exist. They, they point to the unity of things. They point to a source point and to a united field. So I think that the intuition of the mystic uh, and, the, and the lover is close to the pulse of life and that uh, that affirmation of the beauty of life and the truth of life and the goodness of life is what art uh, is most righteously about and that's how it serves the the spirit is this why you would say that your art is so immersive so visceral that perhaps you're relaying this sort of significance to the divine and transmitting it into the people who see it? I don't Hope, think your work is also hopefully. visceral. Your anatomical work is visceral. Your other work is, is both cerebral and ethereal. It's from another world. It comes from the inner uh, experience. And I think that when Alex's earliest uh, studies were about the body, it's true. And he was a medical illustrator for a good solid 12 years where he supported Zena and I as uh, I was not, uh, I was only working with Alex on his work, you know. And so basically it was one income of medical illustration that was doing it. And then the, the paintings that we were selling, some of them, we had shows and things. But still, for a good 12, 15 years, Alex studied the body and was, you know, made it, made it his life. But, you know, I mean, more and more, his work is more about the, uh, the ephemeral. I mean, I'm looking around the gallery, the studio right now, and I don't see any works of art in this room that have anatomy in them anymore. Although <laughs> there's one in the other room, the Xenovision has some anatomy. And I think it's, it's, it's something that you know how to, to use and... Uh, and taught yourself uh, like a like a fabulous part of your house, you know. Like you, all of all the things that you know how to do, you know how to represent the body accurately. And if people are going to use the body in their art, if they're going to use the figure in their art, if they're going to use the face in their art, they need to, um, you know, be have a confident uh, approach to that. Not everybody has to do it through anatomy. Not everybody has to understand, you know, the anatomy to do it, but. The confident approach has to be uh, evident. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, we become a lot uh, more comfortable in seeing the uh, a sort of underlayment of the physical body, what's under the uh, skin, you know, because of the um, bodies exhibition and things like this. And so uh, 
it's more part of, and even the uh, shows that are on television that show us, you know, cadavers. Now we're seeing. Oh, uh, so much. And now we're seeing surgery and now we're seeing more familiarity with the body. So over the years, uh, when I first was presenting these life-sized uh, sort of dissections of uh, figures before bodies and before all of those things, you know, there was all a, practically a physical uh, discomfort with people in seeing these large flayed uh, kind of figures, which I think at, at this point is is not so much, you know, because, oh, we know it's a painting and it's a painting of a, a, a decent painting of a, you know, our... Uh, Headache commercials have spinning, you know, uh, translucent people. So yeah. it's, you know, and, and, and that just wasn't the way it was. Mm-hmm. But, but I think it, it brought it out into the open and people see anatomy now as, as, as pattern, light, color, you know, it's, 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 they can become more removed from it as art. Well, I think that what, what the an- anatomizing of the figure does is universalize the figure. And uh, rather than focus on what race we are, we're saying we're all humans. We all have bodies. We all have uh, skeletons, you know. It's why you see uh, X-ray art all over the world in shamanic art. You see uh, a kind of silhouette and then inside uh, bone-like tracings from uh, Australia uh, to, you know, the art of the Anasazi. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this kind of skeletalization, you'll see it in Weichel art, too. The shamanic art is seeing this uh, kind of X-ray world. And that's kind of a level of the world of light that the visionary artists, I think, are trying to bring back. You know, not just me and not just Allison. I think Allison's work is about light. She talks about uh, her languages, first seeing it as light. You know, it was light figures, you know, but it's all there in these in these letters and it's intelligent, you know, that it's just communicating something, mystery. And then but it's come from a world of light. And the 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 grids of light are, uh, you know, basically prismatic representations of what could be white light fields of interconnectedness. Uh, You still have that white light field because each drawing Thing. She she doesn't draw she doesn't paint every part of her paintings. She leaves a little moat of white. So there's always a white light field connecting everything. And uh, so there's to that to the world of chaos. Now what are we but light itself shattered in various ways? You know we're coming together. We're falling apart from order to chaos, chaos to order, mm-hmm. and uh, all because of what we say. You know. Be- when we say that we're getting better, we're getting better. When we say things are getting worse, it's tendency to, to make things worse and to make it come true. So you, you, uh, you know, not that that works all the time. You know, no, you've got to watch that. out for people who, but, who, who hex you, but, though. Yeah. <laughs> and the kind of energy that's around you. So that you want to, you want to, you know, if you want the upwardly spiraling yeah. life, then you have to constantly be affirming and going forward. And so, but anyway, that's just, you know, advice from the old people. <laughs> I mean, Alex, is, would there, would you say that there was a point in your life that was the most influential to your work? Any period 
of of life for you that maybe define the rest? You know, I think that uh, the 24 hours really that I took LSD for the first time and basically decided that there was a God and life was worth living. I decided to live. That was my rebirth in life, I think. That was kind of like your second chance. If you get a, if God hears your prayers and appears to you within 24 hours and then divine love in the flesh shows up Mm -hmm. right there, my partner for the next 40 years, if you can't see the sign, if you can't read the tea leaves, then (laughs) I think you're pretty dense, you know. Well, but let's say this, let's say this. I think that Alex, you know, was, uh, it gave Alex a content for his work. It gave him what his work could be about. The most important thing, like both of us felt that this was the most important thing, you know, next to finding each other, the, the incident and the, what the vision was and seeing it was the most important and, and life-changing vision and altered, altered our way of uh, thinking about the world and God and, and everything's, everything inner and outer. So that and it gave Alex a, a direction and content for his work and it gave it meaning. But I have to say, Alex was always a great artist, even before he met me. He was famous in high school. He had a show at Columbus, uh, Ohio City Hall when he was in high school, a solo show. So this guy made, and he got a full scholarship to art school. So he, he was recognized as an artist because he is uncompromising. And he is, un, you know, he's just unstoppable and basically uncompromising. You know, works of art must be you know, what he wants them to be. You know what I mean? It's, it's like he, he's been known to wipe out entire areas after working on them for long periods of time. So he's always, you know, always uncompromising. And, uh, and sometimes his work takes a little bit longer because of that. But it's very, very respected because uh, it's, he always learns about everything in his work too. You know what I mean? Like everything that's in there, every symbol that's in there, you can think you probably read a book about. He has a moat of references around him at all times. So anyway, I'm a big, big fan, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys get a chance to meet Albert Hoffman? Did he come oh, to yes. college? Oh, on numerous occasions we were able to. Our daughter had dinner with him when she was nine years old. And then that was in Amsterdam. And then we met him <laughs> again a couple of times. But once on his 100th birthday. Yes. Alex did his portrait, an important portrait, a very important piece that you could see in Entheon when we open. It's called St. Albert and the LSD Revelation Revolution. And Albert uh, was 100 years old that day, 111111. <laughs> oh, no, was it 11, 111-01? I don't remember. But in any case, he was 100. And he signed the back of the painting. It was on a board, so it was, he could sign the back of it. And he put, made a picture of the molecule on the back of it. So it was 06. 06, 06. That's when we went to Basel, Switzerland for the World Psychedelic Forum. There's a lot of interest in, in, in this mysterious substance that we call a sacrament. And there are scientists and sociologists and psychologists and psychiatrists that are studying it and now testing it for all kinds of interesting cures. People are finding incredible success with cluster headaches uh, related to LSD 
and all kinds of other stuff. You know, uh, they're, they're, they're doing the tests at big, big uh, universities like Johns Hopkins and, and Harvard and, and Yale and UCLA and some other ones. So they're, they're, they're getting like real legitimate about it all to find mm-hmm. out what, it act, what is the potential of this very strange and powerful uh, substance that in a, mi- in a millionth of a gram has people feeling that they have had the experience that is greater and as, as uh, important of an experience as, as the most experiences, important experiences of their life, including bearing children and things like that. So they, they put it up there with those sorts of importance. And why is that? And how can that help us? How mm-hmm. can it help us? And so, uh, you know, it can't help us by, by, hurt, by, by, by harming us, right? We don't want harm. We want harm reduction. So how can we make it so that it helps us? And a lot, there's a lot of research going on about that. MAPS is the uh, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and they're the guys that we're going to be at Burning Man with, and they have a big speaker series and a Zendo. We're going to be there this uh, Burning Man. Did you ever go to Burning Man, my friend? I have not been to Burning Man yet. It's on the list. It's on the bucket list. Dave, you should come when we're there. (laughs) You have friends. friends. I will make a point to it. (laughs) <laughs> eventually see you guys yeah. so we are running out of time here okay. i i want to ask each of you kind of if you have one thing that you could tell a budding artist someone who's getting into kind of drawing painting who admires your work um what would that be i, I don't <clears throat> well draw every day and uh, devote time to uh, this, uh, you know, don't expect a lot of rewards uh, all at once, but really find out why you're doing it and do it for your own soul's reasons. And if, every, if anything uh, becomes successful, so much the better, you know, uh, and... If you find yourself in the realms of success, you know, uh, then, you know, learn to appreciate that. And uh, Van Gogh has had a, I, I've tried to, tried to keep a dialogue with your, your family of artists, you know, like learn who your tribe is and uh, they may be living or dead. You know, and hopefully they're both, you know, you're part of a wave. So get in touch with the wave and uh, get in touch with the people who are um, doing work that is, is similar to yours. Budding artists should check out how they can study with Alex and I, and it's all at Cosm.org. We teach. We have two classes coming up in July and there's lots of ways to interact. We have Wonderful artists that come here. Amanda Sage just taught a, a workshop here and has another one coming up. So I would just like to say one other thing before we close. And yeah. that is to everybody in this family, everybody that's out there listening and to you, Xavier, may any merit generated by our gathering be dedicated to the benefit and liberation of all beings. Thank yeah. You. I, I love it. You guys are truly amazing. 
Allison, tell us a little bit more about Entheon, this project th- that is coming up, where people can find the Kickstarter, all of that. Check it out at buildentheon.com. We created a special page so that you can just go to buildentheon.com. takes you right to our Kickstarter page. We are blowing right up, my friends. Please get joined right on. We've got some fantastic tool, uh, brand new and unique, exclusive rewards. Um, and, and, and then when you come here, you can say, I helped build this temple. It's part, and you can tell your children that you helped build this temple. It's going to be around for a thousand years unless somebody you know, knocks it down. It'll stand there for a thousand years as it is. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to get us, we're going to get all the way there. We're going to get all the sculptures on there. It's going to cost us though. And, and it's, and, and, you know, building a temple is the work of a community. So that's why we're doing that because this is the visionary art tribe and anybody who loves the vision and the visionary art can come around and help us even at the lowest level your contribution really helps our campaign because it like blows up more and more people are, are participating and we have some low, medium and high end, you know, rewards. We've got original art in there. People are looking for art by Alex Gray there. You know, we're like putting it up there. So, and I've got some pieces and so all the visionary art tribe, they've, they've, they've been coming out. They're, they're donating their art, their original art, and their G-Clays, and their limited editions. They're, you know, you'll see them. There's a whole scroll of them. We just sold a, I can say this because it's a campaign. We just sold a, I think it was a $19,000 banjo, uh, no, $13,000 $13, banjo functional glass, baby. What's <laughs> the fun back in functional and Banjo, if you don't know, he is the biggest glass artist, functional glass artist, one of those really hot. And he put his piece up there for our Kickstarter, and it just sold today. Really? Yes, indeed, wow. Daddy Duty. Wow. So play, 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 play full out. We'd love to have you be part of the campaign. We've got some great big and small rewards, and, and come to Cosm. Yeah. We've got Mother's Day, if you're in the area. We've got... Uh, you know, Alex and I teaching the Visionary uh, Art Intensive for the 27th summer. Come and be in our class. If you're an artist and you want to study with this man and his muse, come to the Omega Visionary Art Intensive. It's, it's a five-day experience of fun and love with lots and lots of visionary artists. That's where we want you to be this July with us. So is that good, Xavier? Oh, what did Alex says one more thing. Friday... Oh, Friday, we're going to be the Alchemist Kitchen. If anybody hears this before Friday, Friday night, we're going to, we're, Alex and I are doing our blended talk, The Inevitable Consequence of Love. And we're talking about it at the Alchemist Kitchen in New York City. It's a great new space in New York City. And uh, you got to find it and you got to come and see us. Is it, what date is that on? Is that Alchemist this? Kitchen, Xavier. Is that the Friday the 6th? That's yep, tomorrow. tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow. It might be a little bit early. Talk if you happen happen to have it, but in any case, Alchemist Kitchen is cool. I just I really want to thank you both for your the work, all the work that you've done for being here. Your energy is amazing. This is the most fun that I've had <laughs> with an episode in a long time, and I just I bow to, you know, kind of your legacy. It, it it's truly your vibe. The energy, it's beautiful. Thank you guys both so much for, so for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.